God speaks in both visions and dreams. And if you study the Bible very carefully, you will see there is a distinction between a vision and a dream. A dream was done at night when you were asleep, where God gave you revelation, whereas a vision was done while you were awake, either, at not, either during the night or during the daytime, but you were awake, but it was like you were having a dream, and God gave a revelation. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. As we progress through our study of the book of Daniel, a book some have called the Revelation of the Old Testament, we open to chapter 2 today, where we find King Nebuchadnezzar troubled by a recurring dream. Now, when we come to the second chapter, this is the longest chapter in the whole book of Daniel. And we're going to cover it in two messages. First, we're going to deal with the dream and its consequences. And then when we come together next time, and you don't want to miss next time, if you think today is going to be exciting, wait till we come to next time. He's going to deal with the dream and its contents and its meaning. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I do want to read the first 13 verses to give us a feel for where we are going. Follow along. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare the, to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation." The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. And there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling places is not with mortal flesh. On April the 14th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln called together his cabinet, all his advisors, to develop a plan to reconstruct the union of the states. And during that morning meeting, he told his advisors of a troublesome dream that he had had several nights in a row. And in the dream, he boards this vessel that is going to an indefinite place. And he talked about the dream and he asked his advisors what they thought because it bothered him so much and they had no answer for him. Of course, before the day was over, he went to Ford's Theater and John Wilkes Booth 
shot the President of the United States, and he found himself in eternity. Now, many believe in hindsight that the vessel was his life, and the indefinite place was eternity. Now, I don't know if that dream was from God or not, but wouldn't it have been neat if someone could have come in and told the president what his dream meant? Well, if he had lived 24 centuries before, there was such a man, and of course, his name was Daniel. Notice how the chapter opens. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. In the opening verse of chapter 1, and now in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is identified as the king of Babylon. And more is said in the Old Testament about this pagan king than of any other pagan king in all of the Bible. He is a wicked, despotic king. He plucked out the eyes of King Zedekiah right after he ruthlessly murdered his sons in front of his own sight. Daniel 5, when Daniel looks back on Nebuchadnezzar, And summarizes his life, he says this in the 19th verse, because of the grandeur which he, God, bestowed on him, that is Nebuchadnezzar, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is very important because he is the very first king in biblical history this first pagan king, to interrupt a theocracy that God had had with Israel. God chose Israel out of all the nations of the world, not only to bring the first coming of Messiah, but as we will see, God is setting the stage through the Jewish people to bring about the second coming of the Messiah. And so God ruled over Israel in a theocracy of sorts. But that theocracy is interrupted through this king, in a time frame in human history that Jesus refers to as the time of the Gentiles begins. And it begins with Nebuchadnezzar, and it goes all the way through the coming Antichrist. We're going to learn about the Antichrist. In fact, more is said about the Antichrist in the book of Daniel. You will learn more about the Antichrist in this book than any other book in all of the Bible. It's absolutely astounding what he is going to show us. Now, Nebuchadnezzar interrupts this uh, kingdom relationship that God has with the Jewish people, not because he chooses to, but because God wants to use him. Jeremiah, the prophet who lived before this king, described Nebuchadnezzar as God's servant, as his servant. Not because he was a believer, but because he was a tool in the hand of a sovereign God. So Jeremiah foretold what Nebuchadnezzar was going to do, and he gave specific detail. And of course, He's the Hitler of his age. He's one of the most hated despots who has ever lived. And he, of course, thought he was building a magnificent kingdom for himself. But in reality, he was, a building, he was building a school in which God would train his people for 70 years and rebuke them and discipline them and prepare them ultimately to come back into the land. So again, though the exact number of years of the time of the Gentiles is not specified, the events where it begins and where it ends is given to us here in the prophet Daniel. 
And we are going to be blown away before we are done with the prophet Daniel because prophecy is being fulfilled in our day, in our lifetime. And God is setting the stage for us to see that the time frame concerning the time of the Gentiles that this prophet wrote about is soon coming to a conclusion. Now today, again, we're going to deal with the dream and its consequences, and we want to study it under three headings. If you're using your note-taking outline, first we want to think about the king and his distress. And verse 1 opens describing the king's disturbance, his distress. Uh, Look at verse 1 as we think about his disturbance. We're told now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now, the immediate context gives us some very important chronological information. We're told that this event took place in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, don't let the chapter and verse divisions distract you. They're helpful in that I said turn to Daniel 2 and you could find it. But they are distracting in that they are artificial. They're added almost a thousand years before the Bible Um, after the Bible was completed. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 18. You should bring a Bible because I won't put everything on a slide. We read there, then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them, Daniel and his three friends, before Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, they had been in a three-year school And at the end of the three years, these guys are the cream of the crop. They surface to the very top. Then if you remember, verse 19 of chapter 1 tells us, the king talked with them. And out of them all, out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. So the events of chapter 2 follow the graduation of chapter 1. And yet chapter 2 opens with the words, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now at first glance, if you read that, it seems a little confusing. And the critics love to attack the book of Daniel in every aspect, whether it's the miraculous, the prophetic, or the historical. And they'd say, well, this is obviously an error in the Bible because these guys have just finished three years of school. They start when the king starts, and yet we're told this is the second year of his reign. So how do you put that together? They say it's an error. Well, there are no errors in the Bible. Jesus said that God inspired not just the thoughts, but the words, and not just the words, but the tenses of the words, And not just the tenses of the words, but the very letters themselves. That's the degree of inspiration that Jesus Christ believed in when he approached the Scripture. And of course, it's important in our day to define terms because you will meet a lot of pastors who say, I believe the Bible is inspired, but they may mean a host of things from that. They may mean it's inspired like Shakespeare was. Or they may even say in our day the Bible was inerrant. But they don't mean the same thing that historical Christianity meant when, they, when we use the word inerrant or without error. They say, well, the Bible's without error in its ability to help you, but not in necessarily every single detail in historical uh, event that it records or every scientific remark that it makes. No, it's inerrant in every single word. 
Well, about 50 years ago, the critics were discredited because some archaeologists dug up some Babylonian tablets and they discovered that the Babylonians did not reckon a king in the first year of his reign. They called the first year of his reign the year of Babylonian accession. So we learn from their records that it wasn't until the second year that they called that the first year. So think this through for just a moment. Nebuchadnezzar comes, he takes the place of his father Nabopolassar, in the year of succession, Daniel and his three friends are in school. In the first year of his reign, they're completing their second year. And in the second year of his reign, they're completing the third year. So the two fit together perfectly. And of course, that silenced the critics on this issue. They know, well, you can't argue with the tablets that we've read. So they always have their little criticisms. I'll look at most of them. If I looked at all of them, though there is an answer for every single one, we'd never finish the book of Daniel. Now, in addition to the chronology beyond that, I want you to see the nature of the dream. It's recurring. It happens over and over and over and over again. And this man, before the whole world trembled, he trembles because of this dream that he has. And like so many other kings and world leaders, they go to bed at night wondering what their future holds for their country. That's why when you drop down to verse 29, Daniel will say to him, as for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. But this dream about the future is incredibly troubling to him. He can't make heads or tails of it. And while we're here, let me just say parenthetically that there's nothing wrong about thinking and planning for the future. We would be wise to think about the future. People are foolish who ignore the past, who don't learn from it, and people are just as foolish if they don't plan for the future. God does not speak against planning for the future. What he does speak against is worrying about the future. Jesus said, therefore, do not be worried for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That doesn't mean that we discount the future, but we don't live with tomorrow's sorrow. We live one day at a time, and God's grace is sufficient for us today. And some of us are living on borrowed trouble. And a lot of the things you're worrying about aren't even going to happen. And we need to look to God today. That doesn't discount that we plan the future. And so here's this king. And he's troubled and he can't sleep. And some of us go to bed at night and we can't sleep because we're worried about tomorrow. And we need as believers to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. That's a command in scripture in 1 Peter. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And so notice though that this is not multiple dreams, but one dream. How do we know that? Well, in verse three, it's in the plural. In verse one, it's in the plural. And in verse two, it's in the plural. But in verse three, it's in the singular. Follow closely. Don't miss that detail. In the first verse, it says Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Circle the letter S at the end of the word dream. In verse two, he calls in the experts of the kingdom. He gave orders to call in all these different groups. And he asked them to tell the king his dreams. Circle the word letter S again. But then when you come to verse 3, will you notice? The king said to them, I had a dream, singular, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream, articular. So the plural tells you it's a dream that he has over and over and over again. The singular tells you, and the article in front of the dream tells you it's the same dream that he has. 
and it creates this insomnia. It disturbs them at night. And a lot of leaders who have reached the top, they think, well, the only way to go now is down, and he's, he's torn up. He has a nightmare. The Bible says here, the sleep left him. You ever have a dream like that? You wake up out of a stir, out of a horrible nightmare, and you're wide awake? That's what happens to this king. Now, according to the Word of God, in the Old Testament era, God spoke in a number of different ways. Sometimes God would come upon a prophet and just give him an anointing, and he would say, in essence, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes God would speak through dreams and visions. And we've already been told in chapter 1 and verse 17 that Daniel had visions and dreams, that even Daniel understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, it's important when you think about visions and dreams that you put them within the biblical context. Moses said in the book of Numbers, as it's called in our Bible, Numbers chapter 12, Bednidbar in the Hebrew Bible. We get our titles of the various books of the Bible from the Greek translation. The Jews in the first five books, they use it from the most important word and the opening sentence of each book. But in Numbers 12, Moses said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. So God speaks in both visions and dreams. And if you study the Bible very carefully, you will see there is a distinction between a vision and a dream. A dream was done at night when you were asleep, where God gave you revelation, whereas a vision was done while you were awake, either, at not, either during the night or during the daytime. But you were awake, but it was like you were having a dream, and God gave a revelation. And there's a number of people who have dreams and visions in the Bible. Joseph, of course, we studied him in Genesis. Joseph, the son of Jacob, one of the twelve. Remember the, the, the dreams he had? Uh, Joseph, the uh, stepfather of the Lord Jesus, married to, to Mary. He had dreams, as did Solomon, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, Peter. They had visions and dreams. But what's more interesting sometimes is to realize that sometimes God gave a vision and a dream, not just to a man of God, but sometimes to an outright pagan. Abraham had an encounter with a king by the name of Abimelech. And Abimelech had a dream, and in that dream, God revealed to him that Sarah was not his sister, but his wife. In this case, God gives a dream to this man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, but God doesn't give him the interpretation and the meaning of the dream. Now, I know if I don't answer this, when I go out the door, I'll have a dozen questions, or you'll write me this week, so let me address it. Because I know some of you are thinking as I speak, does God give visions and dreams today? Well, it might be, I think, healthy to say that as a general rule, if you think God gave you a dream, that he gave you some inspiration, more than likely it was not an inspiration but indigestion. But with that said, I do believe that in the general possibility, God can give a vision or a dream. Now, people abuse this in our day, and one of the verses they love to run with is Acts chapter 2, where Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he quotes the prophet Joel. And there we read, and it shall be in the last days, God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, Peter 
links this to the last days. And so there are all these guys going around today saying, we're in the last days, and God said He'd give dreams and visions, and I want to tell you what He gave me. Well, number one, when did the last days begin? Well, in Peter's mind, it began on the day of Pentecost. These people had just done something miraculous. They spoke in a language, a real verifiable tongue, and a dialect within that tongue that they had never known before. And it was so astounding, the skeptics, like the skeptics in our day, want to write off the miraculous, and they say, well, they must be drunk. And Peter knows, says, what you've just witnessed is exactly what God said would happen in the last days. And he quotes the text I just read from the prophet Joel. Biblically speaking, the last days began on the day of Pentecost. It goes all the way through the second coming of Christ. There's another term that's used in Scripture called the latter days. Daniel's going to use that term even this morning. The New Testament also uses it. And that refers, in essence, to the last of the last days. But know this, that we've been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. And two, if you read the whole quotation that Peter gave, he goes on to speak of the fact that the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn blood red during the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so he takes the last days all the way from the day of Pentecost through the time just before Jesus comes and there's great miracles that happen in the sky. And by the way, some have asked me about the four blood moons. It's a lot of nonsense. It will sell books. It will fill auditoriums. But it is sheer nonsense. If uh, this four blood moon phenomena was something that was taught in Scripture, don't you think in the course of 2,000 years that God's men and women would have seen it before? Look, as a general rule, if it's new, it's not true. The moon turning blood red that God speaks of is beyond what we see when you have a certain kind of eclipse. He's talking about literally even the stars falling from the heavens. And he's talking about a day, the great and terrible day of the Lord that precedes the second coming. has nothing to do with the blood moons that we're seeing in our day and that they've seen throughout history. And they love to manipulate the four blood moons to say, well, look what happened when this happened. They're manipulating it. I've gone back and I've studied their chronology and it's really pretty poor, but people don't think for themselves today, which is kind of sad. But can God still speak in a dream and a vision? Sure he can. Maybe you're asking, has he ever spoken to you? No, he has not. Could he? He could speak to anyone. God can do whatever he wants to do. But let me just say, there are certainly places in the world where there is little preaching of the Bible and little specific revelation there's general revelation wherever you go, found in creation and conscience. But in some places of the world, they've never seen a Bible. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And God sometimes can give a vision or a dream in order to bring the person under the call of the gospel. Uh, but let me say, when God does give a vision or a dream, it is, number one, never going to contradict what He has revealed in His Word. God's will never contradicts God's Word. And if you have a vision or a dream that is extracurricular, that goes beyond the revelation of Scripture or subtracts from the Word of God, then you've come under the warning 
that the book of Revelation closes with. And you don't want to do that. I would also say that God never, ever, ever commands us to seek a dream or a vision. But He does command us to seek to study the Word of God. And He does tell us on occasion we should seek the counsel of other wise people to discern His will for our life. Uh, I have a friend who worked with the Jesus Film Ministry. And he worked in India, and he met some people, and they said, well, how'd you hear about our showing of the Jesus film? And they said, well, three days ago, God gave us a vision to come to this village. And we've walked for three days. And they walked for three days, and they heard the gospel. Notice they didn't get the gospel in the dream. God uses human agents to communicate the gospel. That's why we're called to go into every nation of the world and to preach the gospel. God gave Cornelius a, 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 an, an encounter with an angel, and he gave Peter a dream, and he brought the two together so that he could hear the gospel, but God still used a human agent. Another missionary speaks, true story. His car breaks down, and a man walks up to him, and he asks him the question. He said, are you God's messenger? He said, well, what do you mean? He said, God gave me a dream last night that I would meet a man in this place with a broken down car, and I want to know if you're God's messenger. He said, well, I guess I am. He said, well, would you come to my village and tell us and speak to us about your message? And he went to their village and he gave them the gospel and they say the entire village was converted to Jesus Christ. God can do whatever he wants to do. But what he does is not like the nonsense we've seen here in the last month, this so-called evangelist who uh, has had this vision from God where he said between September 23rd and 28th, a comet is going to, an asteroid is going to crash into Puerto Rico. It's going to create tsunamis that are going to cover the entire eastern seaboard deep in water. The 28th, that's tomorrow, right, Anthony? This could be my last sermon, brother. <laughs> that's nonsense. That's folly. And so there's a lot of abuse. And so Ezekiel warns us of false dreams and lying divinations. A lot of these people, again, they're either trying to make money or they just like to think they are so spiritual. Let me tell you about my experience. And somehow on their low self-esteem, because they don't have a biblical self-image that comes from the Word of God, they have to build up their self-image by making themselves to be some kind of a big shot. Ezekiel warned of false dreams and lying divinations. The Apostle John commands us in the New Testament not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits to see where they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone into the world. So keep your attention where God calls you to keep it on the infallible, inerrant Word of God. To listen again to today's study in the book of Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN2, entitled A King's Nightmare. The phone number again is 877-787-7478. And when you call, why not consider becoming a Search the Scriptures Foundation Partner? Foundation Partners come alongside Search the Scriptures with a gift of at least $25 a month. 
For more information, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our study in the book of Daniel. Join us then as we search the scriptures.